0: Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, airing every Tuesday. I'm Melanie Blackman, an editor for Health Leaders. My guest for today's Women in Healthcare Leadership episode is Maxine Carrington, the Chief People Officer at Northwell Health. Maxine joined Northwell in 2008 as a Manager of Labor Relations and has worked in a variety of HR roles since. During our conversation, Maxine shares her career journey, insights into her role, and what a successful HR leader looks like. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Well, Maxine, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's a great honor to speak with you.
1: Uh, Melanie, thanks so much. Good to meet you and really appreciate the opportunity.
0: So to start us off, can you share a little bit about your career journey and what inspired you to make the shift from law to human resources?
1: Uh, You know, it's I always joke, how far back (laughs) do you want to go? I've always liked working. I will say that. And I always had an orientation towards service and helping, and and that comes from parents uh, who had that commitment as well. So whether it was you know within the walls of their work or then outside volunteerism, I think that spark was set very early. And you know I was reflecting recently, my very first you know other than babysitting, <laughs> paid internship experience was actually in healthcare at a, a hospital. In Brooklyn, that we actually have a good relationship with today. And so, one is this aspect of you just never know where you're going to end up and and come full circle to some degree. So, starting with that orientation, commitment to service, you know, how that manifests itself obviously can show up in so many different ways. For me, it was law, and I was inspired by other attorneys I'd seen and what they could do, right? The ability to influence change, uh, positive change the advocacy aspect of it. It was important, the re- representing the vulnerable, representing the marginalized, helping others. That was all important to me. And I And I saw that, you know, certainly there were the TV characters that you would see, and then just notable figures like a Thurgood Marshall and others it was just inspiring. And so I knew it was going to be law, and then throughout that journey, it was, you know, changing my mind about the type of law, the specialty. And so it started out as education law because I you know, I had gotten a master's in higher ed administration. I had an interest in education, and so I thought I would marry the two. Then it became juvenile justice as I learned more. And then through an internship experience, I got exposed to employment law and labor law. And that's where I really fell in love with the story of people, right? And how we help people and support people. And and so that sparked. And so it became employment and labor. And I worked really mainly within labor law for a few years. And then looking at the trajectory of other folks I'd worked with, and their transition into healthcare. So, from doing labor relations, labor law, there was a lot of opportunity in healthcare because you tend to have greater union representation in some industries, of course, healthcare being one of them. So, I transitioned uh, into labor relations first in healthcare. And I would say within a few months, I got the call. And the conversation was around, you know, hey, we see something in you. Uh, We have opportunities. One of those opportunities is to head up HR at one of our hospitals. And I said, with all due respect, oh, esteemed elders who are amazing, (laughs) I don't know HR. Now, funny enough, Melanie, uh, years prior, I would sit in some arbitration cases and wonder, how did we get to this termination? How did we get to this disciplinary suspension? Could we have avoided it? Could we have prevented it? What training did these folks get? What feedback did they get? And these thoughts would be running through my mind. I didn't know what I was going to do with that, but they were there. And it's amazing how the opportunity presented itself to actually do something with those thoughts, you know, manifested again uh, within HR. And so I got my start in labor, a conversation at a diner (laughs) about moving into broader generalist HR. And within about 11 months after joining our health system, Northwell Health, I moved into head of HR at one of our hospitals. And then the story goes from there. You know, it would be HR at another hospital, HR at several hospitals, uh, a regional role, uh, then the deputy chief people officer role, and then now two years as chief people officer for this health system. So a little bit of a long story. I probably still didn't do it complete justice, (laughs) but hopefully answered the question.
0: Well, sometimes it can be hard to really share all of your career journey. I (laughs) really love that yours came full circle, as you said, and how you were able to focus on the aspects that you really loved and (laughs) that, you know, a leader came to you and said, hey, we see you in this role and help to build you up to that.
1: Yeah, and I think we try to do that for others, and this is several years back. We do it so much more now, right, to be able to see transferable skills, transferable capability in others that you may not have a strong background, but we see something. You can learn the technical, uh, but the behaviors, the competencies, right, uh, those power skills, formerly known as soft skills, are there? So I'm so glad they saw that in me because it was a good lesson to me as I would grow in HR to do the same for others, right? And to make the organization more open to that. And we are an organization that's very committed to that, seeing something in someone and then giving them a chance in another space. It's so important.
0: I really love that. And I love that your journey has had so many different steps you know, currently, as you said, your role is chief people officer. How Mm -hmm. does that differ from the chief human resources officer? And how do you both work together?
1: Yeah, so um, my role represents an evolution in titling, uh, similar to many other organizations and agnostic of industry. You know, you still see the CHRO title being used out there, but you also see other variations, if you will. And so, um, interestingly, my predecessor, he first changed the title to Chief People Officers. He was seeing it become more common in his peers, again, regardless of industry across the nation. And so he evolved the title. Now, I will say to you, when I came in, I actually went back to CHRO, Chief HR Officer. And what I was contemplating there was the human piece. You know, just making sure we're focusing on the human aspect of someone's lived experience and not just seeing anyone as a uh, employee, if you will, solely. But, you know, how do we look at the whole person and see the human and how do we make sure uh, we have a humane environment and a humane workforce, a humane work environment? thinking about humanity. But interestingly, I would come to go back <laughs> to chief people officer. And why is that? Because over time I thought to myself, I see why he went with chief people officer. So chief HR, it sounds like you are leading just the function of HR, right? So while you may have a concept in your mind how it's perceived might be different. So I said to myself, you know, the perception is I'm responsible for the HR function. But It's probably more progressive to go with people, officer, which means you're about people, right? So it gets me at the human piece that I was trying to advance (laughs) to really put the customer at the center of my title and and declare to the world, if you will, that I am for the people. I am for the customer. Uh, I'm not here to just lead a function. I'm here to serve people. And so it was important to me to, one, take that journey to get there, and that the titling reflect both my commitment, my mission, my orientation, and what I want for the function. That we are a service-oriented function that puts people first, right? We partner with people, we're people-centric, and we view the, uh, the people of this organization as our customers. And so that's really how it came to be. Uh, just the evolution. So there is a single chief people officer, though I have, you know, regional CHROs, regional C- chief people officers, whatever we want to call them now and in the future. But I am the, the chief people officer of the organization. I love that the
0: people aspect and how that really ties into your career journey as well. Yeah. Um, it's all just so full circle. What has been your experience working in healthcare as a woman leader, and Mm -hmm. how would you define
1: your leadership style? Oh, so, you know, the interesting thing about healthcare, it's uh, many times you see the workforce is predominantly made up of women. So at Northwell, 72% of our workforce is female or identifies as female. Uh, From a diversity standpoint or representation standpoint, or as I now like to say, membership, not representation, but membership standpoint, uh, we're predominantly female. Not necessarily an issue there. (laughs) I think the uniqueness is ensuring that there's this societal reality. There's a historical reality of the rights that women have had to fight to gain, right, to achieve, whether it's in the boardroom whether it's politically, standing in society, whatever it is. And then inclusion, right? Making sure that women, uh, the voice, uh, the contribution is included, not just in conversations, but in decision-making, where it really matters. Uh, And so I think as female leaders, just knowing the landscape, knowing the history, we have an obligation to make sure that we have some courage around what we advocate for, right? Making sure women are contemplated, considered, have a voice, can contribute to decision-making. And that I think I'm at a stage in career and life too, from a legacy building standpoint, I sense this obligation, right? To make sure that I'm making the environment more inclusive for women coming behind me or next to me now today, (laughs) but certainly those coming behind. And so making it a better workplace for them, that is considering their needs, their unique lived reality, right, as well, and that's the whole person, whether that's caregiving, primary caregiving responsibilities or otherwise, being sensitive to that, um, listening, understanding the needs. And so the workforce, the environment, the workplace is better. And more inclusive, and that there are greater opportunities uh, for women to shift into positions uh, that have the most power, the most influence, the most say, if you will. So I think that's where I am today, where I have the influence, I have the ability and the voice to advocate for others. So that's really where my mind and positioning is today.
0: Beautifully said. What do you attribute to your
1: success as a chief people officer? We always talk about, in any business, I think, relationships. Uh, Relationships are important. And there's a sort of self-sacrifice in that. You know, you have to not to disregard your own needs, (laughs) your own voice or anything like that. But when you are customer-centric, particularly HR, right, you're thinking, what might this person sitting across from me need? Let me listen to them. Let me understand. What are their vulnerabilities? What are their concerns? What are their gaps? What are their strengths? Right? You've got to be assessing. So I think I come from a place, I've always had this intention of how do I help you? How do I help you be your best? How do I help you address whatever needs and concerns, problems you might have and, and bring some solutions? So I think that's certainly from what I've heard, because <laughs> I don't Necessarily want to talk about myself in this way, but from what others have told me, there's number one. I think uh, number two, listening, making sure that you you listen to others, really really important. And I also think people want to feel like they've got a partner and an advocate, right? Someone they can trust. And I think I've really been intent on doing that. Uh, and then last is just a mindset of you know how do we be our best? <laughs> and so. I always strive to whatever space I I enter to help transform it for the better. And I think over time, that becomes known. You come into a place, you see opportunities, something needs to be made better. Um, Hey, everyone, let's go make it better together. (laughs) And so that sort of becomes your quote unquote brand, right? Whether you call it a a change agent, a transformation agent, whatever. I've always sought to do that. And I think that's been recognized um, as well. The other thing is just learning. I have this huge focus on, gosh, I never want to get stale. And so I want to get out there. I want to be learning and bringing back leading practices into my organization to help us be our best, right? So bringing in not just the internal view, but the external view as well, bringing the learning in, bringing in what others are doing, I think it's been important to me. And so I think it it helps me not get stale and making sure that we're driving kind of the cutting edge, uh, leading change that we're expected to. So I think those things are some combination of them, and maybe a few others has, has proven helpful. Absolutely. Those
0: are all really wonderful strategic and intentional ways of leading. So thank you for sharing those. Thank you. Maxine, thank you so much for joining me and taking the time to speak with me and
1: sharing your expertise on the podcast. Melanie, thank you again for the opportunity. And uh, on behalf of Northwell, uh, thank you and thank you to all of your listeners as well. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast.
0: We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.